the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, it costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember that the time to set up your line of credit is before you have the problem. So that way, when you have the problem, you have a place to turn to. And because it doesn't cost anything to set up or not doesn't cost anything when it's not being used, it certainly makes sense as a cash backup plan. It's become very, very popular with nonprofits. We're, nonprofits are our biggest clients, and uh, we're happy to work closely with them. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Jim Shapiro from the Better Fundraising Company. Jim is a fundraising coach. He has 25 plus years of experience raising money including serving as the VP of development for a global nonprofit located in Seattle, Washington. He then co-founded the Better Funding Company to help small to medium nonprofits raise more funds uh, or money. Jim is married, serves his community by coaching high school football, and has three children. Jim, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Right on, Stephen. Thanks for the invite. Look forward to having this conversation with you. You know, I really, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy today's topic because I think it, it, it makes complete sense, but I think we all forget about our clients. <laughs> and, uh, you know, nonprofits have clients, businesses have clients, uh, you know, well, you know, actually nonprofits have two clients. They, the, the clients you're serving and the donors that are you're helping uh fulfill the dream of giving to your organization as well. Right so uh, today's uh, topic is how to increase fundraising by creating a culture of donor appreciation and gratitude. And so with the organizations that you've worked with as a consultant, how easy is it, is it for nonprofits to forget that they need to cultivate the existing relationships that they have? Well, Stephen, Stephen you, you know, very well. The uh, clients you work with, the organizations we work with, uh, these folks are busy. I mean, this this nonprofit charitable work is never ending. It's it's twenty four seven. And so, with that management of the organization, running programs, dealing with staff members, uh, we often forget about some of our our best audience members, some of our best supporters, which is our our donors. They really do fuel the mission of the organization. And so, it's very easy to forget uh, the important role that they play in fulfilling our mission. Do you think it's important that um, a nonprofit gets into a rhythm? Um, because, you know, you don't want to call your your big donors too much. Sure. But you also don't want to call them too little. Mm-hmm. So is it is it important to predefine this is the rhythm of what we're going to do with our big donors? For sure. In fact, we built our entire company on a very simple rhythm. Uh, we call it ask, thank, report, and repeat. 
Uh, you know, we have almost three decades of fundraising experience. And in our early years, we figured we needed to, to distill, simplify what fundraising really is. And so we use those, those words, ask, think, report, repeat. And anyone listening to this, if they were to look at their fundraising model, they would realize most of their fundraising activity falls into either asking, thanking, reporting, and then hopefully repeating that process with them. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about this rhythm. It is important. Uh, you want to identify your donors. We, we have kind of three or four categories of donors that we look at. Uh, our mass donor, those folks that are giving you maybe $10 or $20 every so often. A mid-donor, maybe someone giving you $500 every so often. And maybe a major donor, someone giving you $1,000 or more. And you mentioned major donors. You're right. You don't want to be asking your major donor for $1,000 on Monday and then asking them for another $1,000 on Tuesday. That's just not a very genuine relationship. And so you do want to walk them through this asking and then thanking, which is what we're talking about today, this, this attitude of gratitude, this attitude of appreciation towards our donors so we can report back to them the amazing things that happen because they give a gift so that we can do what? Repeat it again. Ask, ask again at some point uh, in this donor relationship cycle. And uh, so a simple summary is with, with smaller donors, you want, to, you want to speed the cycle up. You know, you want to be asking uh, definitely a few times per year for those $50, $100 gifts. But the larger donors, you want to be thanking and reporting more often and maybe asking once or twice a year. Yeah, I could think of something that would really annoy big donors is to constantly get communications about asking for a $5 donation if you've just given a $500,000 donation. I mean, that's an extreme example. But I, I guess it's key to kind of parse your level of donors up and then base your communication to them uh, differently based on that. Is that is that a common practice in nonprofits to to do a good job in that area? <laughs> it's a it's a common practice, meaning they should they should be doing this, but it's not it's not common. Uh, organizations tend to to speak to all donors at all levels the same way. And if we were to look at our personal lives, you know, I communicate differently to my wife <laughs> than I do to my neighbor, than I do to a stranger down the street. And not to put our, our donors in those categories, but in some ways it's true. Our major donors, our top donors are folks that we should be most close to. Uh, they are most likely giving most of the revenue to your organization. It's the old Pareto principle plays in heavily here. My guess is anyone listening, if they were to look at their revenue from fundraising, from, from fundraising they would realize about 80 to 90% of their revenue comes from just a few donors. And so there is a different uh, level of communication. There is a different kind of expectation in the way that we communicate with our donors. And the thing that we have found to really work the best uh, in our ask, thank, report, repeat system is the thinking portion of it. Uh, this is the whole idea of having an attitude of gratitude, having this appreciation portion of our, of our communications with our donors. When we can appreciate any donor at any level and do it in such a way that's genuine, it's real, we're telling stories, it's emotional, uh, they're going to stick around with us much longer and they're going to be more likely to give us gifts when we ask again. So uh, it's important that we do identify these donors at different levels. It's also important that we communicate most likely with our major donors different than we would with maybe a $10 or $20 giver. A, a big part of this topic today is the word appreciation and gratitude. Um, maybe you could share with our, our listeners some of the ways you've seen um, that have been really great practices of appreciation and gratitude that other nonprofits have done. 
Yeah, there's some fun stories out there. Uh, folks that really understand this model lean into it heavily. I'll give you a couple examples. One is a, a local aid agency here in Seattle that uh, serves our homeless uh, mom and, 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 child, and child population. They do an amazing job. And as these moms and kids come into their care, uh, they become family. And as any uh, family might, sometimes they like to bake cookies. And so the long story short is these moms and kids uh, get a home and, and they get care and they get to kind of re rewrite their story from, from homelessness to now having a home and education and jobs. And one of the moms said, you know what, I can't do much to really thank the donors that have helped us. But you know what I can do is bake cookies with my, with my child. And so this one mom and this one agency started to bake cookies. And then before you know it, another mom and more kids, it became a, a cookie baking uh, environment. And the executive director <laughs> would take those cookies, right? Wrap them up in cellophane, put them on a plate, and she would drive around town and she would stop by unannounced to the donors, in many cases, the large donors that have given gifts to the, the organization and just say thanks. And a simple plate of cookies has gone such a long way for that organization because it's unexpected. Uh, I like to say when we're thanking donors, we want to surprise and delight them. What a surprise, what a delight. If I'm sitting in my office and I'm having a hard business day and all of a sudden the executive director stops by and she has a plate of cookies with a note from a child, uh, that's going to brighten up your day. So that organization in that example wow. has gone so much deeper. Another another one happens to be with baking, just to, just to say it, but it, it also proves the point that when we thank, we actually can still be raising money without even asking. Uh, one of our clients is a local PBS station, public broadcasting station. Um, so it's a big organization, hundreds of thousands of donors, and the CEO likes to bake pies. I'm, I'm on a baking theme here just by chance, but they're, they're two great examples. He likes to bake pies. He's a 52-year-old guy who bakes pies. And long story short is he shows up downtown Seattle, skyscrapers, CEOs, CFOs, big, big donors. He shows up and announce with, with these pies. He calls them $5,000 pies because he shows up, he drops off these pies. He says, thank you to these donors uh, unannounced. And he says, more often than not, I walk out of the room with a 5,000, with a $5,000 check in my pocket because the donor feels so loved and appreciated and cared for. So those are two baking examples, but you can use anything, anything that's tangible, anything that's genuine, anything that's real, anything that's relational uh, from personal letters to baking pies to just a, a nice phone call to say, I'm thinking about you. If we treat our donors like friends of the mission of your organization, if we really care for them like we do, maybe our own friends, uh, you'll, you'll see a, a massive shift in the donor's thinking around how they relate to you as an organization. You know, I um, I did this podcast um, a couple weeks ago with a, a guy who owns a, a, a nonprofit CRM company. Now, nonprofit CRM is software that basically helps you uh, record and manage relationships, mm -hmm. right? It's it's you know it's really I'm a kind of a big CRM fan for the last 25 years, and you know it. it my style is often very personal because I get to know people very personally. Um, and so, um, you know, I kind of feel like the most important part, like executive directors are, I deal with them every day. They are, you know, very, very busy. And they're, they often are trying to do everything. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, I, you mentioned earlier on the 80-20 rule and the 80-20 rule just shows up everywhere in our lives and our businesses and our nonprofits and everything. And I would think that 80% of the time um, 
a executive director should be spending with 20% of their donors. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that are giving them the most money. And the, the, to tie it back in with the CRM uh, software, I think like knowing your, your big donors inside and out, like knowing what they like to do when they're not working, knowing about their family, knowing about their kids, you know, knowing about all those things allows you, I think, to show gratitude. Totally. You know, yeah. I, I, I agree with you because what you're saying is I see you. I know you. Yes. Right? This is a relationship, even though like in my case, I'm a, I'm a fundraising consultant. And even with my own clients, like, you know, they can see me as a vendor or they can see me as a partner. Right. In my bio, I say I'm, I'm a fundraising Sherpa. I don't want to be a fundraising consultant. I want to be a fundraising member of the team that's going to go on the climb with, with them. And, and I think the same thing with an executive director, if they can just in essence be sending messages to their major donors, I see you, I know you, I know your hobbies, I know your likes, I know your dislikes. Uh, and again, it's just a very much a relationship rhythm that we're trying to create through ask, think, report, repeat. And that thanking piece is very relational. You know, when we came up with this model, ask, think, report, repeat, I, I sat back and my, I thought to myself, this model could be used anywhere, anytime, in any industry, in any relationship, right? I mean, with, with your own family, when you get a birthday gift, <laughs> you should thank, right? You should, you should thank the person for the gift you receive. You should report back to them, man, I love the shirt you got me for, for my birthday. Thank you so much. I'm wearing it right now. It's the same relational rhythm that we that we either kind of unintentionally have without knowing it that we're trying to apply to the executive director's world. And as, as he or she's looking at their major donor file, treating those major donors like the friends they are to the mission is so critical. And it's that, that attitude of gratitude. I just can't say it enough. goes such a long way in retaining those donors, in lifting them to more giving over time. Uh, because it's very relational. It's not transactional. Yeah, I think when people think of fundraising, just the whole term, and maybe it's just my mind, but, you know, Jim, maybe you could tell me what you think of it. But when you think of the word fundraising, if someone tells you they're a fundraiser, you kind of feel like they're out there salesy, pitching mm -hmm. things. And, I, you know, I, I started off my career 25 years ago for the first eight years in professional sales for, um, for a big company, Xerox. That's not what sales was like at all. You know, sales was like listening, asking good questions, um, trying to solve clients' problems, um, you know, following up to make sure if you uh, did sell them something that things were going well. It, it had very little to do with the car salesman approach that you're kind of used to. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite books of all time was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm -hmm. And he gives this example where he goes to this party and he was talking to a woman at a cocktail party that he didn't know. And uh, for 95% of the conversation, all he did was ask questions. And at the end of the, at the, end of the conversation – the lady had said to him, wow, you're such a great conversationalist. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't really say much. Um, and so I think, you know, going back to what you're saying is, you know, really getting to know people um, really allows you to show them, you know, to be considerate, uh, to be able to come up with those ideas of giving them cookies or to come up with the ideas of asking them questions about their families. Um did you, did that always come natural to you? 
Or do you think that that was something that was a learned behavior? Yeah, I mean, you and I kind of come up the ranks in the same way. When I when I first started, actually prior to fundraising, I was in the lease finance business. I was in my early 20s. I was in sales. I was leasing and financing heavy equipment, automobiles to businesses. And I learned how to sell, right? Because you, you, you kind of do. You have to be out there. I was I was knocking on doors, um, and so when I shifted to fundraising, I thought early early on that fundraising was sales, right? I'm going to get a thousand dollars from Stephen. I'm going to get you know hundred dollars from Mary. I'm going to get five hundred dollars from John. And guess what? I didn't feel so good <laughs> about the work I was doing because I was a, I was focused on a mission based organization that was designed to help the community, and yet I had a salesman's mindset. And what I so I, I learned early on to almost throw away the word fundraising. We are not fundraisers. We are messengers. If you believe in the mission of your organization, which every executive director and, and worker on this podcast listening would, would say, yes, I believe in it. So if you believe in your mission and you are passionate about your mission, then all you're doing in fundraising is really you're out there in the community communicating that message to people that are going to listen. And so you you are a messenger. You're delivering that message. And then, Stephen, you're right on. We need we, In fundraising, we need to do more listening than talking. Let's just present the mission, present the problems that our organization is there to solve, present the opportunities for the donor to see herself in the story of your organization, and then be quiet. I learned this a long time ago. This actually is a sales technique. When you when you make the pitch, right? When you make the the, the sales offer, you should make it and then take a sip of your coffee. <laughs> like, shut up. Don't say anything. Let the recipient receive your, your offer, your message. And don't try and continue to upsell them or all those kind of salesy terms. The same thing in fundraising. Deliver your message. Deliver the mission of your organization. Talk about, about the financial needs and the problems the donor can solve. And then take a sip of your coffee. Right? Just take, take a deep breath and then do a lot of listening. Ask more questions about the donor's passions, their interests. Um, and you're going to find out a lot about the donor and what makes them tick. And so it's a great Dale Carnegie uh, model of listening, learning, responding, not trying to sell, not trying to educate. I learned this a long time ago too. You cannot educate a donor to a gift. You cannot tell them 1700 things about your organization and move them to a gift. You can tell them an emotional story. You can present to them a problem that's that's need-based. You can write a story or communicate a way in a way that, that the donor sees themselves in your story. So let's let's maybe throw away that word fundraising and just talk about ourselves being messengers. Uh, messengers with a smile and a great heart. And when people do give us a gift, we're going to show gratitude through through great thinking. Is there a methodology that you've developed for how a fundraising call should go? Awesome question. I can almost tell you how it shouldn't go first. Uh, we shouldn't surprise okay. our donors. So let's, let's just go into major donor fundraising for a second. Because there are different ways to ask for money. First of all, let's, let's talk about those. You can you can write a letter, you can write an email, someone could come to a special event, or you could be one on one right now via Zoom or face to face, maybe at a Starbucks if if you're able to do that. And so let's talk about the major donor ask first. Um, first of all, don't surprise them. When you set the appointment, let them know you would like to meet to ask them for a gift. What happens all too often is. You want to ask the donor for a gift, but, they, but the, the donor doesn't quite really understand the, the reason or context for why you want to meet. So they're assuming you want to ask them for a gift. You're in your car, you're on your way to Starbucks, you're going to go meet with the donor and you're anxious, you're nervous. You're like, should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know, about, I don't know enough about the donor. There's anxiety, there's all these worries. And you meet at Starbucks and neither of you are ready for the ask event. <laughs> neither of you are ready, ready to really deliver and or receive the appeal. So what I've found in setting up major donor uh, requests is give them a clear headline. 
donor, I would love to meet with you, talk with you, send you a letter, whatever it might be, to, to, to ask you to make a significant gift to support the mission of our work. That is, that is, the, that is the big thing. So once you actually then get into the meeting, uh, there is a simple formula. We want to be relational. So if it's, let's, we're assuming we're at the Starbucks or we're over the Zoom video, we want to first be relational. How are you? How's family? How's the weather? Like you want to connect with them on a relationship level, but then you want to get right to it. So it's like three to four minutes of, you know, touch base, how are things? And then you get right to the point. Stephen, when I scheduled this, this time at Starbucks, I said, I'd like to ask you for a gift. And so I'd like to do that right now. Let me explain the problems we're facing, the financial need, and then you're quiet. So these, these ask events are no longer than 10 minutes of your work. <laughs> The donor might have questions. The donor might have pushback. The donor might have, you know, uh, interest. You never know what the result's going to be. But it's really a ten-minute kind of opening with the offer, and then letting the donor kind of drive the conversation. Um, and one little, one little key thing here, just to say it, we're going kind of into the weeds of major gift fundraising. But after you've had a good meeting with someone who's listened to your offer, they're most likely going to say, "I need time to think about it. I need, to, I need to go talk to my spouse. I need to go talk to my business partner." That's great as long as you give them a date to reply by. So we don't want these things to be open-ended on the back end. Give them a very clear date. Hey, Stephen, I hear you. Uh, thank you for considering the request. Uh, you know, Could you get back to me maybe by July 1st? Would that, would that be an appropriate timeline for you to get back to me? Stephen, you say yes. Great. We both have a date in our mind. Well, July 2nd comes. July 3rd comes. July 4th comes. I haven't heard from you yet. It gives me a really simple reason to call you back. Say, Stephen, last time we talked... Uh, you, you said uh, maybe by July 1st, you could get an answer to me. How, how are things now? It's July 5th, just checking in. So we want to give that date and timeline at the end of it. So uh, simple, warm greeting, get to the point, give them a, head, a headline as to why you want to meet, give them a deadline to respond by. Uh, it makes the experience so much easier for everyone involved. So I'm going to ask you a question that's going to throw you for, uh, <laughs> you're going to be like, wow, where did that come from? Okay. okay. So I had another podcast on, and it was um, it was really good. It was factual, not as good as this one, of course, but <laughs> but it was a factual data relating to um, women donors, mm -hmm. uh, women big donors, and ha and it happened to be timely because of the Gates uh, sure. divorce situation. Mm -hmm. But um, but it, it really got into the detail that women donors are becoming much more bigger than male donors, and um, how that you know, how that is, why that is and how it is. But if you are a, a woman and you are an executive director of a nonprofit and you are approaching a woman big donor or a, uh, a, a male big donor, mm -hmm. is the approach different? Awesome question. Let me back, back up this idea of, first of all, women in, in philanthropy. Statistically, and this, this comes from the Black Bod Giving Report that comes out every year. It's a massive report. Statistically, uh, women age 66, I think it was in the last report. So women age 66 are, are, are the um, kind of the best donors in our country right now. They, they are giving most of the money statistically in our country. So that just kind of backs up this idea of female givers and philanthropy. Um, and it's not all the Melinda Gates of the world. There are plenty of, you know, Janes and Jills out there giving generously. They also tend, this is, a, this is an interesting one, they tend to make the, the philanthropic financial decisions for the family. So if they're married, 
um, you know, the husband's still involved and whatever it might be, but they are actually the ones that are leading the philanthropic decisions for the family as well. So I just want to kind of em- embrace that. If, if people are listening and saying, where do I go? Who do I talk to? You're going to talk to a woman who's probably 65 years or older. Um, and let me give you one other statistic that just kind of blows people's mind. Uh, 93% of all giving from individuals in the United States comes in offline. We're talking checks, cash, and those little credit card forms you fill out at a special event or maybe in an envelope. 93%. That means only 7% of total revenue from individuals is coming in online, which is crazy in 2021 with the Microsofts and the Googles of the world. But online giving is not where she's living. The the, the 66-year-old woman is living in a space where she likes to read hard copy paper. She likes to get the phone calls. She likes to respond that way. So just giving you some some backdrop as to uh, how we approach fundraising, we're definitely going to approach those folks first because they're giving most of the money and they're giving most of it offline in those major gift experiences. But the mm-hmm. question really is kind of male, female. Um, and the answer is no. The answer is there there is very little difference. It's all about how the individual is wired, right? Uh, I've known many, you know, 60-year-old uh, CFO, uh, female CFOs of organizations and male CFOs of organizations. Uh, there are certain kind of types of people, less about if they're male or female. If someone's analytical, like a CFO, they need to see the data, see the budgets, I'm going to approach them in a certain way. If someone's more emotional, like I am, tell me an emotional story, I'm going to write you a check. <laughs> so it's it's more about knowing your donor type and knowing the type of people that are giving already. Uh, and knowing what uh, what triggers each individual uh, donor to respond. So you're, I mean, you're really experienced at this. Um, do you think, you know, you've gotten to the point with so many years of doing this that you just automatically will change your style with, let's say you're going to see someone who's a CFO, mm-hmm. right? You You know that subconsciously they're probably analytical. Mm-hmm. So maybe you'll be more prepared for an analytical discussion mm-hmm. uh, or, or do you think you just kind of go in there and you don't use those characteristics based on job title to uh, or male, female sure. or any other characteristics that's unique to individuals to yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah, it depends. It depends if it's a new donor. So if it's a new one that I'm trying to acquire, trying to get the first gift, I will probably know very little about them. So I should make some assumptions, right? If they're a CFO or if they're the head of the marketing department at an organization, they're probably a little bit more uh, kind of storytelling based. So you you can make some assumptions. And then as you get to know the donor, you kind of, you know, evolve in those assumptions. I will tell you this, no matter what type of profile person you're going to, no matter how they're wired, I would... I would say 99 times out of 100, I would want you to lead with a story. Lead with one story of one person, one animal, one one dirty lake, whatever, whatever you're doing in, in the world, right? If you're taking care of someone who's in need or the animal who's sick or a lake that needs to be cleaned, lead with a story of need. Uh, because no matter if they're analytical or not, or maybe emotional and, and story-driven or not, the story is the thing that's going to capture most of us. I mean, we are all into entertainment as humans from books to videos to, to movies. So. Um, no matter what, lead with the story. And then back to our topic here of, of thanking and gratitude, it's the same thing. No matter what style they are, there is there's a really warm, genuine way that we're going to thank all people, right? It's going to be personal. It's going to be relational. It's going to be timely. Uh, we're going to tell them something good is going to happen in the world because they gave a gift. So I guess to answer your question, if I know the donor, I, you know, let's say, Stephen, you, you've, you've been a You've been a donor for five years in my organization. I know how you're wired and maybe you like to play golf and all these other things. I'm going to come in with that knowledge base and definitely deliver that after I probably tell a story or two about what's going on in the organization. Yeah. 
other what other things do you think? I mean, do you think it's a good idea if you're an executive director or head of fundraising that you actually put things on your calendar to I mean how do you make sure that you don't forget how important, you know, showing gratitude is? And and I don't mean on a thank you basis. Mm-hmm. I mean on a more in-depth basis. You know, how do you make sure that you prioritize it? Yeah. Well, this is kind of a bigger answer to what you're asking. But you want to, as a leader, create a culture of gratitude, a culture of appreciation. What are you doing internally with your own staff to say thank you? What are you doing with your board to embrace their volunteer work and all the things they're doing to to create this culture of thank you and, and appreciation? Uh, what, what does the board do to appreciate the program staff? I mean, it, we need to be leading from the front and leading by example of having an internal environment and ecosystem where, where thankfulness and gratitude and appreciation is, is already baked in. And I say that because the best team to help support your work as an, exe- as an executive director in thanking are your, are your program staff and your board. Your, your board should be writing thank you notes to donors. Your board could be making phone calls to donors. Uh, we have one client who uh, actually created a room in their office that is the gratitude room. It sits there empty, meaning it's open, and there are thank you notes in there. There are f- There's phones in there. There's there's names and information about donors, their, their numbers and their, and their addresses. And anyone can go in there and write a thank you note to a donor. Anyone can go in there and call a donor and say thank you. And there's they've created a culture. Oh, that's a... That's a. I really like. Great. I'm sorry. I didn't no, mean to no, cut don't, you off. No, I, I, really, I mean, I love that idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I, I love that idea. I. It's. It's really smart. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like the the ideas that you're talking about the grad uh, the gratitude and the thank yous and all those things, it really allows you to be the the really really creative. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of the fun part of the job, right? Exactly. It is. That's the fun part of fundraising. We're going to bring that fundraising word back in, but it's it's fun and it should be. This we are, we are doing a service to our donor community. We are presenting them opportunities to give. Donors that give are actually statistically healthier and wealthier in the years that they give. Like we're, we are doing a service, and if we can take on this idea of thanking and reporting in a fun, creative way, from cookies to to gifts to phone calls to embracing the board and the program staff, this should be a culture, the kind of an internal cultural thing that we create, so it permeates itself throughout the organization. Uh, it should be a it should be a ton of fun, and it shouldn't be a pain. What what happens is is most organizations turn it into a cold system, right? If I give a thousand dollars to an organization, and I get a static receipt letter that says, "Jim, thanks for your gift. You know, we we deposit it down on Second Avenue at the Wells Fargo. We're going to get two percent return on interest." It's like that doesn't do anything for me. But if you send me a letter, say, "Jim, you're amazing," because you gave a gift, five five families are going to be taken care of this week. They're going to have food. They're going to have shelter. Kids kids are going to be smiling and playing. Jim, you're amazing. You just see what I did there? Just the total tone of the communication to the donor totally shifts. And now yeah. I feel good about sending those communications. Now I feel good as an organization about communicating that way. And I feel great as a donor to get those types of communications. So this is this is the fun side, kind of the artsy side, the creative side of, of fundraising. Yeah, it also makes me, makes me as if I'm donating the money, want to give more next time. Exactly. So you know, if if you um, when you're on your calls with your clients, uh, you know, to help them with fundraising, um, do you zero in on grat- their gratitude plan early on, or do you do you kind of focus on some other stuff first and get to the gratitude uh, later on? 
Yeah, I mean, there's always a hot topic, right? Someone's planning a special event, writing an appeal letter, uh, mm-hmm. having a, a major donor call next Tuesday. So there are things that we can jump right in to help with. Uh, but the thinking program, in essence, the, the thinking structure is something we hit probably the first month in working with an organization. Because there are, there are things they could literally do right now. Like, I'm talking today, that would start to move the needle in the right direction. They could call donors right now, today, and thank them. They could improve the copy on their receipt letters to be more like I just shared, more the emotional connection, you know, donor, you're amazing type copy. They could update their email. Their, their email autoresponder probably to a gift online is probably really static and boring. <laughs> so they could, So there are, there are plenty of things they can do in, our, in early engagement with us that will really dramatically improve the thinking experience for the donor, which will then, like you said, in the long term, increase revenue because... Uh, it's it's been so much more improved. So yes, there are hot topics we'll take care of in day one when we're consulting, but probably day two we're talking thinking and what they can do to improve it. Low hanging fruit. That's that's easy stuff to fix, really. What percentage of the time do you think you go into your engagements where um, where they they have a really good gratitude program? It may not be written, but you mm-hmm. see that they do a really nice job with it. Is, is it a 10% thing or, yeah. a, you know, 10% of the time you see it, they have a really nice gratitude program. Is it 90% of the time? Where do, where do you kind of see it? It's, it's low. It's probably 10 to 20%. Um, yeah. Because again, it's more of the ecosystem, kind of the culture internally. I, that, that's where I look first. Just what kind of team are they? What kind of internal culture have they created? And then I look at their content and their systems. It's a, it's a low, it's a low bar. Organizations, feel like if they just send one receipt letter, they have done their job and we've thanked the donor. And I walk in and say, no, you need to, you need to like four to five ways say thank you to a donor, like send an email, make a phone call, send a letter, bake cookies. Like we cannot, we cannot, especially in the major gift uh, experience, there's never enough (laughs) thank yous out there in our, in our community. So it's usually volume. They're not thanking enough. It's usually content and the messaging is just not warm and personal. So there's there's plenty of, of low hanging fruit there to help them improve their model, but it's it's a very low low bar, which tells us anyone listening right now, um, you, you've heard me talk. There are things you can do today right now to become that part of that ten percent. Let's let's upgrade our gratitude programs. What what is the executive directors or directors of fundraising what or board members? What is the reaction when when you talk to them about the gratitude? Are they like? Oh, that's a no-brainer. Why aren't we doing a better job in that? Or are they are they slow to uh, uh, implement? Yeah, they love it because they think mm-hmm. they're hiring a fundraising consultant that's going to have them knocking on doors asking people for money. And you know, <laughs> I'm like, let's not. I mean, we we can we can help you raise more money because we know direct mail, we know events, we know major gifts. We can do all those things with you. But let's let's do the easy stuff first, and that's thanking. Uh, they love it because that's how that's how we, we're all wired. We're kind of all anti-fundraising. We don't really like, like you said at the very beginning, kind of the salesy feel that has been baked in and really a misconception as to what fundraising should be. So they love it. They light up. They smile. Their board loves it because when I get around the boardroom, the board thinks I'm going to ask them to write large checks and go ask them, their friends for money. Uh, yes, that's some things I'd want them to do. But let's, t- let's start with thanking. Hey, board member, can you write a thank you note? Hey, board member, can you write a thank you email? It's like, it's easy stuff. So this is how we're all wired. It's warm. It's friendly. It's fun. It's very well received. Yeah, I, I'd have to work through this in my head. I, I mean, I honestly think that I would would be a good fundraiser. I, I work on a nonprofit board now, but I it's not, a, I don't have to do any, 
there's, there's no fundraising involved in the organization. It's just kind of a community thing. But um, I wonder if there's a way that you would get into a situation where you, if you, if the equation is the more you thank people, the more you will get funds. Look for ways that you can have small wins. Like, and that way, then you have a thank you process in place, a gratitude thing in place, and then it drives more funds. So I know it's a kind of a weird way to look at it, but if you're, if, if, if gratitude is such a driving, uh, proportional increase in fundraising, uh, if it drives so much more funds, then, you know, how can we get to a point to say thank you more often? Does that make sense? Yeah, you nailed it right on the head. It makes a ton of sense. Let me give you some some fundraising data. We are we are fundraising data nerds here at Better Fundraising, uh, <laughs> but we we know a couple of things: recency and frequency of the donors giving are key indicators of when they'll give a gift again. So statistically, a donor that gave you a gift a month ago is statistically most likely to give you another gift now. That's true for your mass donor and your mid donor. Now, major donors because they're giving you a thousand wow. or five thousand, you slow it down. But but recency is a key indicator. Frequency is a key indicator. Someone who gives you a gift every month, if you ask them to do something over and above, they are likely to send you that gift over and above. So recency and frequency are huge indicators of, of if a donor is going to give you another gift. And so to embrace that data with an amazing gratitude program, right? You just you just laid it out for us. It will statistically like multiply the results. We're looking for things in fundraising. Two simple things: donor retention. Have we retained that donor year over year? And donor net revenue. How much money did we make in all in all of our effort? And the gratitude program is is yeah. I would say the top thing that if you want to have more net revenue, higher retention rates, and leverage recency and frequency, it's going to be a gratitude program. So I think we just kind of just landed it. I mean, this is it. If, uh, if you yeah, this is great. If you have a um, if you have a big turn on donors, so in other words, they're not they're not giving you fun, money back again and again, does that mean your messaging is wrong? Yeah, there's multiple things in place. Your messaging, we call it the fundraising offer, just might not be a really good offer. It's probably too complex. It's not simple. Like our local rescue mission has an offer of $1.98 provides a meal to someone who's hungry. That's a simple offer. Maybe your offer, so your message is too complex. The other, there's a couple other pieces. You're not asking enough throughout the year. What tends to do, what we tend to do with our mass and our mid donors in particular is we ask them once, let's say in December and they give us a gift and we say, oh, we can't bother them anymore. And you wait a month, three months, five months, six months. Well, recency is a key indicator. You Every month that goes by, you're losing that donor if you're not asking them again. Uh, and then the, the piece, I'm a broken record here. We need to be thanking and reporting in between the, the giving experience. That is, that is, again, top of the list. If we're not doing an awesome job thanking, if we're not doing a great job reporting back to the donor and showing her the, the, how her gift was put to work, our retention is going to be just really low. One, one other piece is if, a, if an organization is heavy into acquisition, maybe they're on the radio or they bought some names via the mail, and you put a whole bunch of uh, you know, new donors into your file, um, an acquired donor is just a one-time gift donor. And if we can't get them to give a second gift, we're going to have a very low retention rate as well. So if I'm, I'm getting into the weeds, but if you're in a heavy acquisition model, you're going to actually yeah. have a lower retention rate too, just because you have more people in the pool. Hmm. 
Well, listen, I, I think the theme here, uh, well, I know the theme here, but I think if you're an executive director, if you're fundraising, you know, you, you really should come out of this podcast with the idea that we really need to design our gratitude program. And um, if there's, you know, one thing, I think that any of my, the podcasts that we've done in the past, this has to be one of the top takeaways that I think is really makes a lot of sense. So, you know, uh, that's all the time we have for today. And I'd like to thank, thank Jim Shapiro from the Better Fundraising Company for coming on today's uh, podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to get the word out. Um, the nonprofit MBA podcast has become very popular, I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that people are getting really good use out of it. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Jim, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yep. We have several resources. Uh, betterfundraising.com is our website. We have a blog that is really loaded with a ton of great content. I'm going to give you my personal information. You can email me, jim at betterfundraising.com or call me directly at 206-799-4762. Love to answer any questions people have um, free of charge. Shoot us your questions. Shoot us your your ideas around gratitude. Happy to help you. But betterfundraising.com is our primary website. Fantastic. I want to thank everybody out there for making the world a better place. You guys are out in the trenches, really, you know, trying to make all of us be better people. I know Jim and I are trying to do our best too, but you guys are really out there on the front line. So thank you for what you're doing. Everybody have a fantastic day. Enjoy, get outside, take care of yourself, take care of each other. Thank you.